Welcome to episode 48 of the Freedom Sobriety Podcast. This is Jacob, and I am here with Charlie. Good evening, Charlie. How's it going? Good evening. We had to hit the restart button on here, and now it took so long to re-going. The uh, dog has calmed down. So, the dog has but calmed down. Today we have an interview with Alex, who has a lifelong history with substance abuse, most recently with Kratom. Today we're going to talk about a phenomenon in recovery called fading effect bias, also known as FAB. I believe it's the human tendency, unconscious forgetting of painful memories as a coping mechanism, and how that manifests itself in getting sober is as more time you have clean, the less you remember the bad times. Yeah. What is your take on this? Think about it like a toxic relationship where you love the person, but you broke up and it's been a month. You start thinking about them again. Two months goes by, think about them a little more. Three months goes by, you decide to text them. Maybe you go out for a meal or coffee or something. And all throughout that time, your memory of all the bad things that happened, maybe they mistreated you in some way, or you just didn't have the same values or something like that. It's where your memory just puts aside those negative thoughts and positives. And how I think it, it starts to, to manifest is it can even be as soon as a few hours. You are, I'm sorry, the zero to 48 hour mark sometimes, particularly with alcohol. I know this is true that uh, people start to forget the negatives of drinking or whatever. And with, with Kratom, it's probably a little bit longer. You get through those withdrawals. I know this happened to me a lot when I, particularly when I first quit and the, the withdrawals weren't as bad, I would stop for a few days, get through the physical or go a week or two weeks. And I'd be like, oh, it wasn't that bad. This time will be different. I, there'll be some positives and it wasn't that bad. And this time will be different. And that can just continue the longer you're away from a substance. You get to the three month mark and a lot of those negatives go away. And then if you just keep going, it can continue to fade and you start to see Kratom potentially as a substance that could be of benefit in your life. I know for me, this is where, when I've done some work with therapists and stuff in the past, we've talked a lot about this is where I've been prone to relapse because I'll, I'll get away from the substance. I'll stop maybe going to meetings or doing recovery work. And then all of a sudden I don't have those negative associations because I'm not thinking about it. I'm only seeing the positives and then I have a stressful day and bam, it's you're right back in it. So I think it can be pretty dangerous and something to definitely be conscious of if you can. Yeah. What are your thoughts it, about it? It's related. The concept that I heard and I've known for a while is called euphoric recall, which is like when you remember overemphasize the good times and did you read the book? I haven't read this book. I've heard good things. Is it William Porter, Alcohol Explained? Does he yes. talk about fat in his book? Little, yeah. I think he has a whole chat. He does have a whole chapter. A whole chapter is fading effect bias. Okay. I will, I will stitch that in. Somehow, I'll yeah. stitch that together. Yeah. Do I have an example? So the, I, before I finally, so I haven't had a drink in over five years now. The, when I really got serious about it and like when I say serious, not the like years where I was like, I'm not going to drink. And then I drank it at 5 p.m. on the dot when I actually could string a month, a couple weeks together. I noticed a pattern where I would get to a few weeks away from having a drink and I would leave work on a sunny day and I'd walk by like a patio and there'd be people sitting outside having drinks. And I'd like romanticize about that. Because I often, like I liked, I used to like to go to beer gardens and I all, you know, I like to be outside. And, and that for me was like the one thing about alcohol that I could still probably see myself potentially missing. So as an example, I definitely relapsed more than once because I let that positive memory overshadow the hangovers, the saying I'm not going to drink and drinking at 5 p.m. on the dot every time. 
never ever being able to stop at one regardless of how many times i said i was going to like all that i just put aside and that was always by like i'll just go after work and i'll have one drink on the patio with friends and before i knew it it was 11 30 and i don't remember how i got home that's a good example i would say the same thing happened to me once with Kratom. I remember I was off of it for about two weeks and I uh, remember walking past the shop and I was like, you know what? It wasn't that bad. It was only a week. Yeah, I didn't sleep for a couple of days. It wasn't that bad. And I know if I have one of those shots, I'll feel great because I've been off of it for so long. And that's all. I'll just have that one and I won't ever buy any more. And then bought the one. Three hours later, I was back in about five. That is seems to be a pattern that manifests itself for me. Yeah. And I think the way to combat it is, one, I, I think interacting with other people in recovery at different stages of being clean. Sometimes somebody that's closer to their last Kratom use or their last use of any drug or booze might remind you and bust your bubble about this fading effect bias and give you a reality check. And then as always, just digging into why getting healing isn't just the absence of the substance in your body. So once you achieve that, then working on your your why you want to stay sober, what's your purpose on this planet? What are some of the other mental health or trauma work that you need to do to be the best person that you can? Yeah, I second that. There's also a natural tendency, particularly if, let's say, you got addicted to Kratom. This is your first time ever being dependent on something, first time ever having issue with a substance. I think there's a natural inclination to not want to say, maybe I do have addictive tendencies, or maybe I am the dirty word addict that can plague people. And I think it's hard to lean into that. It's easy to say that was a one-off and I'm just like everybody else. I can drink, I can use Kratom, I can do whatever and I can stop. And I think that there's a fading affect bias that plays a part in that too. And there's also stigma and other things. But I know like when I was younger and first asking myself if I had a problem or not with substances, I really didn't want to be an addict. I didn't want to be different. I wanted to be able to use here or there and, and live my life like everybody else. And I realized you just can't do that. It's just not the way I'm built. It's not ever going to change. And I think a lot of people will naturally stop going to meetings or stop listening to a podcast or stop interacting with whatever online group or stop going to therapy. And I think there's a big danger in that because you're opening yourself up to going back to your old ways. And sometimes you need to keep things fresh to remember all the bad shit about it. And I think there's one feature of Kratom that's a little different than other addictions. And I believe Kratom really produces some profound tolerance and taking time away from it actually makes Kratom work again. And in way, you know, like a lot of people quit Kratom because it just, either has no effect anymore. The only reason they're doing it is because it's just to prevent withdrawals where alcohol people, you get a tolerance, but most alcoholics can still get the alcohol still working at some level. But yeah. So anyway, time away from Kratom, you, it's not just, it's not just a, a fading effect bias. It's like actual, it's a tolerance reset that it will work for a little bit more. And I think that's one reason why people relapse on it because your aborted quitting attempts end up being tolerance resets. Yeah. Which I think makes a lot of sense. I also think Kratom has a ceiling to it. Like it's very much like a other partial opiate antagonist. The only one I aware of that I think I could compare it to would be Suboxone, right? If you have a tolerance to Suboxone, you can take like double the dose, triple the dose. At some point it just there's, it's not going to do anything. Like you're just, your receptors are saturated. And I think that happened to me with Kratom. There was a point where I could take, it didn't matter how much I took. It wasn't going to do anything. Like it just, there was nothing else for it to occupy. There was no other, it could do no, nothing else. And you're absolutely right. Even, you know, a short break of a day or two would bring back not good effects, but a little less than what I have. Hell, even skipping a dose sometimes would, would help. Other drugs and alcohol, you can double, triple, quadruple your dose and 
get there. There's less of a ceiling effect. All right. Any concluding thoughts? Fading of affect bias could be also particularly problematic with Kratom because of how much positive and pro Kratom information is out there. So I think it could be easy to wrap your head around that and go back and, and, and absorb that and push out the negative thoughts. Whereas you're not going to find a lot of positive reviews of heroin or meth, for example. Yes. I, there is the marketing of Kratom, the culture around Kratom. If you internalize that, it can interfere with your own rationales of not wanting to do it anymore. Definitely. So I think it's time to go to our interview with Alex. Thanks a lot. You got it. Welcome, everybody, to the interview this week. Why don't you introduce yourself? Okay. My name's Alex, 46 years old, a single dad. I have a wonderful 11-year-old son, and we like to mountain bike and play chess and play video games together and, yeah, do, do activities with him. And when did you quit Kratom? So my Kratom sobriety date is November 17, 2023. So coming up on 90 days here. What kind of Kratom product? Did you mostly use during the time you were on Kratom? Almost exclusively powder. I had tried extracts a few times, the gummies, but I would say 99% powder. And how were you introduced to Kratom? The first time that I tried Kratom was just a one-off time, and it was probably more than 10 years ago, and I had just tried it once. I remember it giving me energy. Didn't think a whole lot about it after that. I was also using a lot of alcohol at the time and looked at it as a one-off thing, didn't continue to use it. When I started using it regularly, I was receiving pain management from my doctor. I was receiving opioid medications and for a back injury, and that had been going on for several months. And at some point, she was like, no more, we're not prescribing the narcotics anymore. And I had heard it and had read that Kratom could be an opioid substitute, could help with pain, and decided to give that a try. And that's when this whole process started, when switched one addiction to the other. How long ago was that? That was probably about two and a half years ago. And were you able to research at all some pros and cons about Kratom? I did a little bit. I knew going into it that it had addictive properties to it, but I had already been addicted to the pills, so I really didn't care. I thought that maybe it would be a good alternative. It also heard that it had helped some people with drinking, stop alcohol, it had mood enhancing effects. I do remember when I bought my first package of it, I did buy it at a, like at a smoke shop. And I remember the guy telling the guy my situation with where I was at with the pain pills. And he gave me a side eye, like almost like a warning. You're almost out of the weeds. Maybe you should think twice about doing this, but maybe you could use it a few times to get you through. Anyway, I ended up buying the first, I think it was only like a one ounce pack and went through that pretty quickly. And that, that kind of began the cycle. Do you ever get involved in Procreatum culture or have get influenced by like Procreatum marketing at all along the way? No, I didn't. Although I do peruse some Procreatum sites these days just to see what they're saying about it. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a history of addiction with other substances? I do. That's been pretty much a lifelong thing for me. And I've had issues with everything except meth at some point. Yes, I would say that alcohol and opioids are my, were my two drugs of choice. Were you one of those people, once you started taking Kratom, you were able to abstain from other stuff? Or was it, were you one of those people that kind of went back and forth between substances? No, when I was using Kratom during that two-year period, roughly two-year period, I was using other stuff too. It didn't stop me with my addictive personality. I'm an addict. If you put something in front of me, I'm going to use it most likely. I was drinking with it to some extent, 
cannabis as well. I was mixing a few things in in with it. Have you over your life? I can relate because I'm a lifelong alcoholic. I've had some periods of sobriety, but have you had? Have you been able to put together periods of sobriety before in the past? I have. Yeah, I with pretty much everything had about two years, and when during the whole crate time that I was using kratom, I had relapsed on alcohol. And it turns out it really doesn't, at least for me, didn't help with staying off of other substances. But yes, I have had some extended sobriety and I'm on that trajectory right now. Yeah, it's not a universal cure for an addiction and it's not a universal harm reducer for everybody. And there is no criteria. Some people report it works and why other people it doesn't. So what were some of the early signs that Kratom was causing you issues? I'll relay one story when I first realized it was causing issues and I was actually addicted to it. I had probably been using it for maybe six months, pretty much daily. And I remember I took a trip down to Florida to see my parents and I had brought Kratom with me, but for whatever reason that day, I did not take any. And that night I woke up about 2 a.m. just and just feeling absolutely horrible. Like my stomach hurt, like I had cold sweats. I was just freezing. And I had thought, I thought I had gotten food poisoning and I got up and I was just like, just terrible anxiety. And I was like, is it going on? And I went through my day and the only thing that I could think of that, Hey, I hadn't taken Kratom in 24 hours. And I went downstairs and I immediately made up a dose, mixed some in some water. I don't remember how much it was, probably four or five grams. And took that and it all went away within 30 minutes. And I was like, wow, okay, I'm physically addicted to this stuff. Now that I think about it, this is a lot like what I've experienced with opioid withdrawal. And then that made me, was an eye opener that there was a problem there. And I continued to use it for probably another year and a half after that. I, after time went on, I just noticed that I would have to dose more frequently. I would, I got to the point where I really couldn't get out of bed and get going in the morning before Kratom. I would wake up in the morning, feel like I'd been hit by a truck, almost just hungover feeling. I would get up. I would manage to make a dose of Kratom. I would go lay back down so the Kratom kicked in. And then I would get my coffee and be able to start my day. And then after that, I would have to measure out what I needed to get through the day at work. So. You know, being addicted to this stuff was just like a part-time job. It was a lot of it was a lot of work being a kratom addict. It really had its hooks in me and required planning. And yeah, became a, a three or four or five time a day habit. And I would say during the week, I would almost take it as like maintenance to get me through the day. I would take some. I would feel okay. I would get a little bit of energy, get rid of the anxiety. And then I would get super fatigued and tired. And then I would have to take another dose. And that would last a couple hours, if that. And then just be waiting till I could, you know, take the next dose. And then on the weekends, or if I didn't have anything to do in the mornings, that's when I would take a kind of like a monster dose. First thing in the morning, I would wake up and instead of taking four or five grams, I would take 15 or 20 grams in the morning. And then I would just go lay down and just nod off. So that's how I use Kratom as a drug to get high would usually be when times that I could just lay around and watch TV or scroll my phone or just zone out with it. Yeah. So I used it, I, I used it for, I used it for maintenance and I used it to get high. Got it. When you had that surprise withdrawal and you dosed in the middle of the night, how much were you using that on average at that time per day? Not a, tre- not a tremendous amount to my memory. I think I was around 10 to 12 grams at that time. And then over the next year and a half or so, it, it got up to about 30 grams max to my memory. Take taking it in five to seven gram doses throughout the day and then more higher doses on the weekends. And before this last time, before you try to quit in November, did you have previous attempts at trying to get off Kratom? I did. So I think at about a year or so into this whole thing, I would, I know about tapering because I've had to taper other drugs in the past that I would attempt to taper and I would even start a chart 
and reduce the dose, but I was never successful in actually getting off of it. I would get down to where I got really uncomfortable and then I would increase the dose and that cycle would repeat again and again. So yes, there were, I had wanted to get off of this, get off of it for probably a year before I actually was able to stop. And what happened to finally things could come together in November to finally turn, turn the tide? So there was, there were started to be health issues going on related to my Kratom use. I went into the doctor and for the first time, my blood test came back with my liver enzymes, both of them way elevated, which concerned my doctor. And I didn't mention anything about the Kratom use. I didn't want to spook anybody. And they did a, she wanted to do a scan on my liver. We did that. It came back that my liver was inflamed. I had the stages of fatty liver disease. I was just fatigued all the time. I was mentally depressed. I was depressed about the fact that I was hooked on this stuff. So I got serious about a taper plan and actually set a quick date that I was going to stick to. I had enough. I, I was at the point with the Kratom use that I thought that if I didn't stop, I was going to die and it wasn't going to be a fun death. I didn't, I didn't experience some of the other effects people have with it, like the hair loss. I, I didn't get that, but I felt dehydrated all the time. I just, I didn't feel well physically or mentally during that time. And so it does sound like you did a taper. Yep. I was up around 30 grams and I did a taper over about a month and it was, I dropped a good amount in the first week. I have the taper schedule in front of me. I'm not going to, you know, read the whole thing, but I wanted, it's pretty extensive. I had it, I did a, like an Excel spreadsheet of, of it and with my quit date, I wanted to get down on my last day to about a half a gram. But by the time it came around, I was only able to get down to about two grams a day before my, my jump off date. So when that, when that date came around, I just, I just stopped and just said, I'm not going to, this is as low as I'm able to taper down to. So this is where I'm going to stop. While we're on the subject, is there any tapering advice you learned from that process that any big takeaways? For me, I think that you can do a bigger jump, a bigger reduction in dose if you're taking a lot right at the beginning. For me, I think I cut it close to almost in half and then took it a lot slower toward the last couple weeks of it. And you just have to, for, for me, I had to just stick through the discomfort of it, knowing that I'm you know, achieving an end goal getting off this. That's the way that I did it. I just tried to stay real hydrated. I tried to stick to the taper schedule as closely as I can. And I did up until those last four or five days when I was getting down to the one and a half, two, two grams a day is where I got stuck. And any less than that, I just was barely functional. But like I said, when that date rolled around on the 17th, I was just like, okay, I'm going to cold turkey basically from there. But I feel like for anybody trying to get off, the withdrawals are going to be less once you're completely off if you can get your dose down. So I remember that's when we first met was like a week before your scheduled quit date. I remember that. So congratulations. Yep. Thanks. Appreciate it. How did the first 30 days go? It was rough, to be honest with you. The first three days were much like opiate withdrawal. I was crawling out of my skin, couldn't get comfortable, a little bit of the restless legs. And after about day four or five, the kind of acute stuff mellowed out a little bit. I think what I mostly remember is just after that, just a lot of fatigue, depression, and just dizziness, like I would get dizzy spells, brain zaps. It reminded me very much of coming off, abruptly coming off an antidepressant, like an SSRI or an SNRI. I have been kind of cold turkeyed in the past off of some antidepressants or switched over and it mimicked that very strongly. That type of withdrawal lasted a lot longer than the physical the part of it, the mental part of it lasted longer. Did you find anything that helped with the withdrawals and the detoxing process? 
I did up my supplements. I took a lot of vitamin C as recommended in some of the groups. I drank a lot of water. I am already on gabapentin. I have been for a while from my back. I did up my gabapentin dose some in the evenings just for the restlessness. I took some clonidine and that helps with blood pressure and anxiety. I had that, just had some of that left over from a, an old prescription. But other than that, not anything else really. I didn't use any sort of Suboxone or any sort of opioid substitute taper off from there. Is there anything more you would like to talk about the serotonin effects? Yeah, obviously I'm not an expert in Kratom, but I feel like by the way that it works, at least the way that it worked for me, when I was using it like at a maintenance level, it seemed to increase serotonin and dopamine while I was taking it. It would give me an energy boost. It would give me a mood boost. And I think it has those properties to it. I had mentioned before, uh, I feel like that Kratom does have some similarities with antidepressants. And then when you take that away, your brain has to reacclimate back to homeostasis. And that takes a while for that to happen. So yeah, I really believe that, you know, a whole nother side of this that's not talked about as much as the dopamine serotonin part of it. Usually you hear people more focused in on that it hits the mu opioid receptors, which it does. So when you come off of it, it's like a, it's a double whammy, really getting off of it. So it's not it's it's not a fun drug to come off of. For that reason, I feel like in general, it just does in the long run, it, it, it does more harm than good. I feel like, too, after you use it for a certain amount of time, you really get diminished return on it. At first, it was did give me more energy. It, it did help with focus and stuff like that you hear about. But the longer I used it, the less it worked. The more tolerance I got, the less it worked like that. I, I felt like I spent just as much time being fatigued and anxious than I did reaping its benefits. Yeah, there's some science behind that with certain of the alkaloids have that effect on you. And I was extract user and I felt like it was like, it was like taking a couple Vicodin plus a mild Adderall, plus like a fast-acting Utrin. And people will say, oh, that's a bunch of baloney. But you did get a little bit of like pain relief and the euphoria that you would get from a traditional oipoid. And it was like there was a stimulating effect that kind of counteracted that. And then there was this like wellness, that the sense of wellness that you would get that wasn't hitting the, the opioid receptors. It was hitting other parts of my brain, lighting up different spots that traditional drugs didn't. Yeah, um, I can relate to that. Um, Kratom's a very unique, strange drug in that way. It definitely has a uniqueness to it like that. But like anything that's addictive like that, there, there comes consequences and you're going to get diminished returns over time. Yes. All right. So what are the, some of the support systems you have in place now to stay the course? I attend 12-step meetings. I have a home group that's agnostic atheist freethinkers meeting. It is a AA meeting, but we just keep the God word out of it. And that just falls more in line with my belief system and the way that I work the steps. I'm also fairly active in the, the Quitting Kratom Facebook group and also attend some of the Quitting Kratom online meetings that, that are hosted. And I try to give back when I can. I feel good that I've been off for a while and can offer, hopefully help somebody else and offer some advice on somebody that's still struggling or trying to get off. It, it, it feels good to be on the other side of it in a sense. I know relapse is not impossible, but from what I've been through with Kratom being on it, what it did to me, what it took to get off, it's not a drug that I personally see myself ever going back to. I'm really glad that I, with that particular substance, I was able to compartmentalize it and be like, hey, that's something that I don't want to do again. With other things, I haven't been quite as successful in, in doing that with, but a work in progress. I'll leave it at that. Well, yep. <laughs> how are other things in your life now that you're off creating your health, job, relationships, that kind of thing? So I went in for blood work not too long ago. Liver enzymes are back to normal. Health seems to be better. Getting out more 
I get outside more. When I was in the depths of my Kratom addiction, I really stopped doing a lot of the things that I enjoyed, like mountain biking, like all that kind of stuff got cut out. So I'm doing more of that. I'm just more present with my son. But yeah, I definitely improvements in, in all areas, especially just my physical, mental well-being is much more stable. All right. Is there a message you would like to tell your future self like from a year from now? Yeah, I would say just stay with the course. Keep in mind what I've been through. Don't lose sight of that. And just keep faith that things will continue to improve as long as I stay the course. All right. On a lighter note, we like to ask people questions about music or travel. Do you have a preference on those um, two subjects? We could do both. I could do the music thing. Yeah. Uh, so what, what's your favorite? Yeah. What's your favorite? kind of music and if you were going to travel anywhere in the world where would you go yeah music is really all over the place as i like the grateful dead i still listen to them not as much as i used to but i listen to old school hip-hop like beastie boys and tupac and i'm also listened to singer songwriter i've seen paul simon in concert twice but yeah, music-wise, it's whatever I'm feeling. I will sit in kind of the depths of my addiction. I was listening to a good amount of Suicide Boys, which they they rap a lot about drugs and mental health and mental health struggles in particular. But those guys got sober a couple of years ago, and the music changed a little bit, but it, it spoke to me at the time and still, still does today to some extent. Yeah, shout out to them. <laughs> yeah, right now I'm feeling somewhere tropical would be cool. I'd love to go back to the Bahamas again and just have a nice relaxing beach vacation after some of this cold weather we've been having here. Yeah. In terms of the current iteration of the dead, do you have any, do you get involved in the craziness of their, the residency they're going to have at the Sphere in Las Vegas? I, the ticket just went on sale this week, I think. Uh, it's too pricey for my blood. Yeah. I do have a friend that scored three tickets to the sphere and he said that the site was crashing. He was like 169 to get tickets or something. And he was, he said he got what he could, but I did hear about that. It sounds like a really cool event, but I'm probably going to be sitting that one out. Yeah. It's the same with the Mexico shows playing in the sand. I just, it's a little too pricey for my price range all right i'm sure um, i'm sure it's going to be fun shows though and yes I, I, I'll, 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 look, I'll look forward to hearing the stories about them <laughs> yeah that venue is unique i i didn't know about the extent of some of the things that they have the amenities inside the concert venue yep should be a good um, time back to the subject at hand a couple more questions what yep. is your top tip for someone getting ready to quit kratom so I thought about this a little bit and I think in a sense you have to be you have to be ready to do it. You have to have the motivation in place. And there is really no quote unquote right time to do it. You have to sometimes just pick a date, make a plan, and stick with it. I put this quitting off for a really long time and looking back on it, I wish I had done it a year before I did. I wish I hadn't started in the first place, but going back I I wish I had quit before. And I think the scariest part when you're stuck in it is you almost feel like you're going to have to take the stuff for the rest of your life. And because it's you're addicted to it and you have to take it throughout the day, the thought of quitting is scary. What's going to happen? When I quit, I took the weekend and then a Monday off of work. And I was able to go back on Tuesday and function fairly well. I was fatigued or whatever, but there's really no right time to do it. Just make the decision if you want to do it and and follow through with it. The sooner you get off, the less suffering you're going to experience going forward. But I can relate to thinking back, like how scared I was of the withdrawal that I was going to experience. So you hear horror stories. For me, it was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Like I said, I struggled more with the kind of the mental aspect of it, the depression, some dizzy spells for like post-acute stuff. But yeah, just make the jump and get connected with people that are doing the same thing that you're doing. There's a Quitting Kratom subreddit. There's a Facebook group. There's online meetings. Start going to those. And the more that you, the more positive 
stuff that you can put in your head about quitting this, quitting the more successful you're going to be in doing it. If you surround yourself with people that are doing the same thing that you're doing. This is a little bit off script, but ask this question. Do you have a question for me? I hadn't been thinking about it during the interview, but how long have you been off Kratom now? I know you were doing the extracts. It'll be a year in March next month. Cool. Happy early birthday. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Great. do you ever see yourself doing it again? No, I'm pretty committed to staying off. I do. I, this would probably go. I do have this fantasy of trying the, like drinking tea, like actually getting the tea bags and not consuming any plant matter and see, see if I can really use it like coffee. But I really think that's my inner addict trying to sabotage myself. So fortunately, they don't sell tea bags on every corner of America. They sell extract products. So to do that, I have to actually order it over the internet and wait like a week for it to come. And there's never, I won't ever be insane for a whole week. So there's a natural kind of built in safety network for that, that kind of relapse. But I definitely don't ever want to do extracts again because they were just, I didn't say this when you talked. I had the issues. I felt like horrible in the morning. Every morning I woke up until I had my Kratom. But the way I was doing it, every day was going to be my last day. So I would not have, my plan was the next day I would quit. So in the morning, I would go through these withdrawals. And it was always, before I was able to quit, it was around here, they open up at nine. So I was just feeling horrible until nine when I was be at the parking lot at 8.55 for them to open or on the days where I would like maybe get to noon and then give in. But anyway, yeah, the mornings are bad. So I don't miss that. <laughs> yeah. For me with the, the cravings and at first hit hard in the morning, like I said, I usually took my biggest dose first thing in the morning to get my day going. And then it was maintenance doses throughout the day. So reestablishing my routine in the morning was a little bit tricky in quitting at first. And I just hope that this spoke to somebody. And I am on the the Quitting Kratom Facebook group. I don't know if you just look up Alex as a member, you might can find me on there. If you want to reach out to me on Messenger, you're more than welcome to, if I can be of service to anybody. I am on a a member of a, a pro Kratom social media, and I do cruise through that just to see what people are saying about it. And it's interesting because half, almost half the people on the pro Kratom forums are bringing up issues like addiction. Like I want to take a tolerance break, but I can't, I have to take this stuff every day. You get as many people on the pro Kratom thing talking about issues that they're having with the drug than they are about how it's actually helping them. And usually I don't comment on it or anything, but I've had to have some people reach out to me on the pro Kratom groups and saying, hey, you help. I can't stop taking this stuff. What do I do? When I just tell them about my experience and they tell me how they helped at first and now it's not anymore. And I think we're going to start seeing more of that is I think that Kratom use in general on the rise and we're going to see. This is my prediction is we're going to see more people on the quitting Kratom forum than we're going to see on the pro at some point, but I could be wrong on that. Yeah, I've noticed some of those trends. Some of those forums are more moderated than others. So some of those posts get deleted, but in other places, they're just, it's more of a free speech. And even the, the issue of like hair loss, which I know, thank God you didn't experience, will pop up in a pro Kratom forum and half of them are like, I, I when I take stop taking Kratom, my hair comes back. No, there's nobody bald in my entire family, and, and so it has to be the Kratom. And then there'll be the other half of the people that are just totally that's impossible. It never happens. You're just you're conflating things. It, it, it's, it's yeah. It's there, just, there was a there was an issue that that there's been a lot of times that they'll say that no one's ever died from Kratom. It's a natural plant, and I'm like actually. There, there has been kratom related deaths, and they're like, "Oh, that's all perpetrated by big pharma." And I'm like, "Yeah, big pharma doesn't." This is, <laughs> they were like, "We'll cite your references." At that point, I just, I know that there has been kratom related deaths, and I've also gotten the what they call the wobbles when I take a lot, like almost feeling like I'm going to have a seizure or something. So the stuff is not safe, in my opinion. Yeah. 
and especially the, if you combine it with other stuff. Yes, yes. 90, 95% of the deaths are these multi-drug, multi-substance overdoses. Only about 5% are around Kratom alone. But yeah, it's such a widely held belief that Kratom is never killed. It's actually rare, especially for Kratom alone. But in Florida, there was like in two years alone, like 350 of the multi-drug mix. That's a significant a number of deaths. And it was there was only about 10 per year of Kratom alone. But that, yeah, but it's so widely believed the industry perpetuates it. In terms of mixing, Kratom inhibits a certain enzyme. And it's the same enzyme that you would use to like um, process traditional opioids and other certain drugs. It's similar to there's certain drugs that say don't take grape juice with it because yeah. grape juice does the same thing. It does a similar inhibition of this enzyme processing mechanism in your brain. So it is not just a coincidence that people are mixing these drugs because they're, they're using all of them together as a drug abuse. And then the kratom itself can actually be the cause because it's, your brain can't process all those drugs like it would if you didn't work on Kratom, even though something like fentanyl is way more potent. But they, anyway, it's it's a mess. And I agree with you. There is a growth. We're seeing a growth in the podcast. And the industry is, it's unchecked capitalism. We That's where we live. It. They want yeah. they're creating new markets and the yeah, demand sure. for their product. They're trying to grow that demand through increasing access to advertising don't know if anything is going to happen with it anytime soon. I think that it's honestly pretty low on the DEA's list of trying to, it's a lot of effort for them to actually get something scheduled or descheduled, hence that cannabis is still federally schedule one narcotic. They can't undo that. They're very slow to move on drug laws and things like, like that in both directions, whether making something illegal or making it illegal. They don't really care until there's a, like a fentanyl epidemic with it or something like that. They're going to turn a blind eye to it. The status quo is very powerful, especially in this, especially once they defeated the first attempt to schedule it. I think the feds are going to be pretty neutral about it. There might be activities at local level and there are some local bans in certain cities and legislation attempts at the state level. But thanks a lot, Alex. We really appreciate you being on today and good luck with your continued success. Thanks for having me, Charlie. You as well. Kratom in the headlines. This week, we're going to take a break from Kratom, and this is more of a commentary or an allegory. And to be a little bit of a TV review, I stumbled across a series this week on Netflix called Louder Milk, and it's like an AA meeting meets Spinal Tap or Best in Show. It plays on all the tropes and stereotypes of recovery, but also has some characters and storylines that can be relatable. Sometimes not all the lines and the subplots land, but I think it really explored some of the absurd things about self-help. Things like the repetition, the group think versus seasoned on point wisdom. Are the helpers, sponsors really qualified not to cause more harm than good? Are you spending too much time on recovering? Are you better off quit from a substance than you were on it? Is AA a reflection of society, like a mirror of it, or is it its own weird spinoff world? I hit home just because I've been thinking about, it's cliche nowadays to start a podcast. In the old days, you just went to meetings. And then I wanted to play a really funny clip from the show that's just reflective of the trade debate in this country. But society, they demonize you guys. I mean, they couldn't ban alcohol outright, even though they sure as hell tried. So. They come at you guys another way. And you want to know why? Because rehab is big business. And every big business, it's got lobbyists. And the lobbyists for the rehab industry, they got paid to make sure that every senator and every governor voted to lower the DUI level to 0.08. Even though we all know that 0.08, wow, you don't even get drunk until you're into the teens, right? 0.08, it's mouthwash. So now, drunk driving is 0.08. So when you get arrested for drunk driving, you're obligated to do rehab. Why? Because 
these lobbyists, they got the law changed that says, if you do rehab, they can't fire you from your job. So you see what they're doing? They're feeding the dragon. As you can see from that clip, Kratom addiction is just something that's been manufactured by Big Pharma. And this podcast is just an effort to perpetuate that narrative. The rehab industry really want to make Kratom an addictive product when it really isn't. You heard it here first. All right. Snark off. Have a good week, guys. My pet Cricket has restless leg syndrome and it's driving me insane. So this week's resource of the week is just for him and all of you out there that also have the same issue when you quit Kratom. Restless leg syndrome, also known as RLS, is probably at the top of the list when it comes to withdrawal symptoms and complaints. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the ways that we can alleviate those symptoms so that both you and my pet Cricket can all get some rest. First, I need to say I am not a doctor and I do not even play one on this podcast. So that being said, yes, medications can be prescribed. However, I'm not going to mention those medications by name. In fact, we're not even really going to talk about those. What you're going to need to do is talk to your doctor and follow all of your doctor's instructions when it comes to those medications and take them out. As prescribed. We're going to talk about today are more natural methods and ways to alleviate these symptoms. First, there are supplements and vitamins that are super duper helpful. A lot of us are deficient in a lot of things when we come out of our kratom addiction and start to detox. One of the big things that we hear that is most helpful out there seems to be magnesium. For me personally, I love the calm magnesium, the powder that you put in your drink, shake it up and drink it, go to sleep. It helps alleviate the restless legs and the restless body that we all sometimes get. And it also helps me sleep. Another thing that can exasperate restless leg syndrome is low iron. Maybe have your iron checked. If you're low on iron, get yourself a good iron supplement or make sure that you are intaking foods that are rich in iron. Vitamin C is a good complement to that iron as well as B vitamins, all of the B vitamins. I also hear people recommend a product called Highlands Restless Leg Syndrome. This is a homeopathic supplement that can be purchased over the counter and I hear it is very helpful. Another thing that's helpful for a lot of people is hot baths. Turn that water up as hot as you can stand it. Put yourself some magnesium or Epsom salt in the bath and soak your legs. Leg braces. I just happen to have had some of those lightweight A-style leg and knee braces with the Velcro to adjust and you can make that Velcro super tight. Man, I found those so helpful. Another thing is things like ACE bandages wrapped up or compression socks. If you wanted to go a step further and take it the extra mile, Put some magnesium cream or spray underneath those socks or bandages or even a good RSO rub or oil if you are in a legal state. They even have fancy leg massagers from Amazon and Timu. They have an intensity and heat mode setting on those. Another thing that you want to do is make sure that you're getting exercise, especially stretching, yoga. Yoga is super helpful, especially if you focus on certain poses 
We're also going to link a video below that Heather shared with us. Super helpful. I hope you guys find that useful as well. That's some low-key, low-intensity exercises that are helpful. There's also some more intense exercises that are super helpful once you dig deep and find that energy and that motivation. Taking a walk, running, bicycling, spin cycling, weight resistance with the legs, kickboxing, anything that gets those legs moving. Another thing that you wanna do is make sure that you're limiting yourself on caffeine and sugar intake. Nothing's worse than laying there at night trying to go to sleep and your whole body is fighting against you because it is hyped up on caffeine and sugar. It just makes that RLS a million times worse. Last thing I want to mention is water. H2O, I cannot stress it enough, we need to stay hydrated, especially after long-term kratom use. If you're not peeing every 23.7 minutes of your day, then you are not drinking enough water. All of that being said, if you try all of these tips and you are still having issues with restless leg syndrome in your legs, your body, then it is time to reach out and see a doctor. I hope that you guys find these tips helpful. I know that many of them were super duper helpful for me. I can't wait for me and my pet cricket to get a good night's sleep tonight after his little Epsom salt bath. Keep it kratom free, you guys.